to this in our series, I titled it Go, or maybe I changed it to Before You Go, because it is all about the book of Acts, the acts of the Holy Spirit, not the acts of the apostles, but the acts of God, the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles. And so all the attention comes back to how the Holy Spirit works in the church today. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 40 here this morning. I titled uh, this morning's message, First Words. If you were with us last week, I was talking about the day of Pentecost and how it was the day that it's the most important day. I want you to think about this for a second. It's the most important day in the life of the church, apart from Jesus' death and resurrection. This would be the pinnacle moment for the church that we see in the New Testament, the birth of the church and how God would move in and through the church and how he would use the church to advance his kingdom and his causes to be a reflection truly of who Christ is even in the world today. And yet, if it wasn't for the day of Pentecost, I think we, we can see this because it's still happening all around us. If it wasn't for Pentecost, we wouldn't be here today. That, that's a fact. And what I mean by that, the church would have easily, by this time, it would have burned out, it would have fizzled out, it would have been snuffed out, or people would have just walked away and they would have given up because we see that even happening in our world today, right? You can look around and <clears throat> there's many people that come to church and they come periodically, they come for seasons of times, and then all of a sudden they're gone and you don't see them anymore. And then you might catch them on social media or something and they're not even walking with God. They don't even have a relationship with God anymore. And you go, what happened? And you go, and the question really begs to be asked, did they really ever have a relationship with God? They might've known things about God. They might even had a distant relationship in the sense with him, but not a personal relationship where he really has transformed their life by the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can never downplay the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I, unfortunately, I think we do many times just thinking this week about the person of the Holy Spirit and how the Bible says we're not to grieve the Holy Spirit who we have from God, that he's a person. He's not just a, a, a force that comes from heaven, but he's a person. He has personality. He gives us gifts and he's with us and he encourages us. He comforts us and he brings to remembrance all the things that Jesus taught. And then to think, and especially how profound this is, Jesus speaking about forgiveness, right? Jesus said, you can be forgiven of every sin, right? He said, except for one sin. Do you remember what that one sin is? What is that one sin that we can't be forgiven of? Is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, right? He didn't say that you hear people yell at God, right? He said, you can be forgiven of that. They use the name of Jesus as a cuss word, right? And people go, is that blaspheming God? You go, no, it's using his name in vain. But there's one sin that would send a person to hell for all eternity. And that's to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And you go, what does that mean? It means to reject the Holy Spirit, to reject the work of the Holy Spirit who's in the world today, to convict the world of sin and the church of righteousness, to convict us in the sense to keep us on the right path, that bring those things to mind that God has for us. And so I, don't, I just don't want you to ever move away from the person of the Holy Spirit and his role that we see here in the New Testament, because obviously without him, we would be lost. And when we understand him, then all of a sudden God's word, it takes on fresh and new meaning for us. You know, I think of how many times during the course of a week uh, in the book of Philippians, uh, people will uh, talk about this verse. They'll say, I can do what? All things through, what does it say? 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And some people think that means you can just do anything. Like Jesus is just that. He's just a, he's like an energy drink. You just caffeine and you, you take him and all of a sudden he just perks you up. But to understand that we can do whatever God calls us to do, that's the key. I can do whatever God has called me to do because of what Christ has done for me. And what Christ has done for me, not only did he die on the cross and not only did he rise on the third day, but he promised that when he returned to heaven, that he would pray and that the Father would send the Holy Spirit in his name, who would be not just with us, but we're learning, but he would be in us and also he would come upon us as well. And what an amazing relationship that we get to enjoy with God. As I ended it last week, if you were with us in verse 12, it said that they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean when the Holy Spirit fell and they were speaking in other tongues. And I shared with you the tongues that they were speaking in were foreign languages. It's the Greek word dialecto. It's where we get our English word dialect. So it wasn't some gibberish or people talk about a, a angelic language. It wasn't. These were dialects of the people who were there. And they were amazed. They were hearing the people praise God in their own language. And it's really interesting because I said there, there's a distinction between tongues in the book of Acts and tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where the tongues in the book of Acts is for the non-believer, where the tongues that we see in 1 Corinthians is for the believer. It's to build up the body of Christ. But tongues in the book of Acts was to get their attention. It was to let them know something was going on. Some people will teach them, this is that was the first sermon. They go, no, it wasn't a sermon at all. They were praising God in their own language, and people were hearing it in their own language. It was a phenomenon that, that's never been repeated ever in, in the history of the church. From that time at Pentecost, it was a, it's a one-off, you might say. It's a one and only activity and event that all 120 people simultaneously were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages that were known by the hearer. And what an amazing thing that happened. But it says that they were, and I, I left you with this. I said, there's only two types of people. And I want to begin this morning with this and then take a moment and pray. When you think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they get a bad name in the life of many churches today. Matter of fact, the churches are divided over gifts. You have those that are, we call them Pentecostal churches, right? That believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And then you have churches more reformed that would say, we have the Bible now. We don't need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We needed the gifts of the Holy Spirit back in Jesus' time to affirm who was a believer from who was an apostle. But we don't need that now because we have the Word of God. And unfortunately, like I said, the church is divided over that. And so what happens is, and nothing's really changed, you have people that are perplexed. That's what Peter said. They heard them speaking in tongues on that day in Pentecost, and they were perplexed. That means they didn't know what was going on. But they weren't perplexed to the point that, that they walked away or they said, oh, this is ridiculous. There was a group there that, like I said, being perplexed, they dug in. And my hope and prayer is that whenever it comes to spiritual gifts, you and I would be that kind of people, that we'd be the people that, hey, we might not understand it, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to study it and we're going to dig into it. And we're going to go as deep as we possibly can to know what God wants us to know. Because the other side of it is then it says there were those that started mocking them. And every church has mockers. This church has mockers. I can preach a message and somebody right away, oh, I don't agree with that. I do. And you go, it's okay. I didn't, I, don't, I didn't even put it out to a vote. I didn't say, do you agree with me or not? I'd go home and study it for yourself. 
But what happens is we have predispositions to positions that we hold. We go, this is the right way. And you go, we'll have to prove that out in your own life because we're all going to stand before God. You're not going to stand before me. I'm not going to stand before you. I love what, as Paul, the apostle taught, says the Bereans listened to him. They said, Paul, we love you, but we're going to go home and search the scriptures to see if it's true. I'm not so much concerned about your personal experience. What I'm concerned about is what does God's word say? Personal experiences come and go and they change over time, but the word of God, what? It's sure. It's here today. He, you know, even as uh, Jesus himself, right? He's the same what? Yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. So you can bank on it. It's not the word of God isn't going to change. So you do, you have those that are perplexed and then you have those that, that mock. And I always reminded when I think of people that mock things is it, you ever hear that expression, every party needs a pooper. And it's so true. There's, there's party poopers. Every party's got a pooper and, but uh, you wouldn't be the pooper. That's my hope and prayer today is that as we talk about spiritual gifts, that you'd be open to them. You'd be open to all the gifts that God has for you and that, that you would understand and grow in the understanding of what spiritual gifts, not only what they are, but what they're for. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today as we get into this, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the privilege that we have a place, Lord, church here in Bakersfield, we can gather on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. There's not a day when we don't have opportunity here to get together. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that, Lord, you've given us your word. We have a Bible. Uh, Lord, we give them out for free. Uh, we want people to have Bibles, to own them, to, Lord, be able to study your word, to know you. That's why you gave us your word, so that, God, we could know you. And Lord, I pray for every heart, every home today, that God, we would, as we leave this place, we wouldn't know things about you, but Lord, we would know you in a deeper way, in a dynamic way. And so Lord, use this time, edify your bride, wash us, cleanse us, Lord, set us on the path, Lord, that you have for us. No matter where we've been this week, the good thing is, Lord, we're here and we have opportunity to get fresh direction, to go where we need to go. And so Lord, we just thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you that you provide everything that we have need of. Thank you that we could pray for the lost today. And Lord, we pray that you would not just reach them, but Lord, you'd use us. That for every person we prayed for now that our prayer would become, Lord, am I the answer to my own prayer? God, would you send me, Lord, to speak your love and your life to those that, that need you? Well, that's, we know that's why we're here. And Lord, we ask you to save our family, save our friends, Lord. Fulfill your word, Lord, in their life and use us, Lord, for your glory and for their good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Peter was basically telling them as we ended last week, he said, they might look like they're drunk. Uh, and you think about why would they have looked like they're drunk? The first thing I think about is liquid courage, right? Have you ever heard that expression for some, when somebody drinks, right? They All of a sudden they have courage because you have Peter, think of Peter. I mean, remember not too many days before that, he was what? He was afraid to just talk to a little girl about the things of God. And now all of a sudden there's this holy boldness. There's a dynamic spirit, not a distilled spirit, but a dynamic spirit that has come over his life. It's one of the things that's always interesting to me when I think about public speaking. If you look at statistics on public speaking, the majority of people, and this always has baffled me, they're more afraid of die, or excuse me, of public speaking than they are of dying. Think about that. You go, people hate public speaking so much. They go, I'd rather die. And you go, really? And they go, yeah. And it's a true fear. It's a true phobia. But it won't be when the Holy Spirit 
comes upon you. When people will say, it's like evangelists, they go, I'm not an evangelist. You go, no, you might not have the gift of evangelism, but the Holy Spirit will always give you the ability to do the work of an evangelist. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. There is a dynamic power, and it's something that people saw. Like I said, was, it wasn't liquid courage. It was dynamic courage that came through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And Peter makes reference to that on Jewish time frame. It, it was about nine o'clock in the morning. So it wasn't even a time that it was customary for people who love God. The Jews, in, in particular, under the law, they wouldn't even, many times they practiced intermittent fasting. They wouldn't even eat until three o'clock in the afternoon or they wouldn't drink. So Again, there was a distinction here that Peter was making there. And so this is obviously, as the, the church is being birthed here, it's a wonderful celebration. I, I shared last week, I remember the birth of our daughter, Bree, our firstborn, and just how amazing that was. And so then today, in carrying that forward, you think about Pentecost was the birth of the church. And, and I think if you are a parent here, and you probably can remember your firstborn child, and how much that just amazed you to see the miracle-working power of God that you, that you had something to do with this child being brought into the world. It was a miraculous event. And, and the church was the same way. And yet, then we look at today, now it's Peter's first sermon. So I look at that and I go, hey, it, it reminds me of first words. Can you remember? How many of your parents here, by the way, today? Raise your hand. Yeah. Can you remember your child's first words? What was the first word your child said? Anybody remember? What was it? Dada? Yeah. For dads, we got any, who said mama in there? Anybody? Your child said mama for the very first word, right? I just remember Lee and I sitting there with Bree and we'd be holding her and, and Lee had an advantage because she was a stay-at-home mom. And I'd go, hey, you know what? You can't just sit here and go mama to her all day long. That's not fair. I go, you got to say that too. You got to balance this out. And then you think she did? Oh, no. We would just sit there and I'd get home from work and I'd be holding her. I'd go, yeah. And you know what her first words were? What would you think? Was it mama or was it dada? I can't remember. Yeah. I really, I can't. That's what I thought was so funny. I was, I was thinking about this week. I'm pretty sure it was mama though. Um, because like I said, it was just an unfair advantage. But, but I love that you think, and you're working so hard to think of those first words and to hear those first words out of your child's mouth. And I think in one sense, we do ourselves a great service today to think about the very first words that were spoken in the very first church and the dynamic, because I think we, we understand over time, we tend to what? We tend to drift away from, from what was central. We see it today. Obviously, in the life of the church, if you study the book of Revelation, you'll see that it happened in the church as Jesus is walking through the church there in Asia Minor, those seven churches, and he has some things to say. And that was, like I said, that was in about A.D. 60. So it was only 30 years after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And to be able to say to a church that you have left your first love, you go, wow, it doesn't take long. And so it's how important is it? for us to go back and remember, this is where it all started. If you want to get it right, look at how it all started there in the book of Acts. And these are the first words, obviously, that Peter spoke. In verse 14, he's preaching to the crowd here. And remember, what is the crowd? It's all those that have come back into Jerusalem. So these would have been Jews who lived somewhere in the region there that had come back for the 
celebration of Pentecost. They, they'd been there previously for Passover. Now they've come back for the celebration of Pentecost, and, and they're here in, in the city. And so Peter steps forward, and, and I love this because this is the same Peter who cowered just a few days before. And so it's not something that we need to gloss over. There's been something that's changed in Peter's life. And especially, I think about those of us that maybe are a little bit apprehensive to, to speak out. And especially after you came to Christ, we don't really have a, an excuse that we could ever share with the Lord any longer to say, well, Lord, do you know my personality? I'm not a public speaker. Moses, the scripture says he wasn't a public speaker either, was he? What was Moses? What does it tell us in scripture? Moses was a what? A stutterer, right? And God used him in a very profound way. Peter, Peter, we would say he, he suffered from what? Foot and mouth disease, right? Peter just had a habit of open his mouth and insert foot all the time. But God used him in a very profound way. And it says he, verse 14, it says, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 apostles and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews. So who's he talking to? A Jewish audience here. And the residents of Jerusalem. So we know who he's talking to. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk. As some of you are assuming nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. And I love that. He's not saying that they didn't drink. He's just going, we just don't start at nine o'clock in the morning. Okay. And again, and I look at Peter and you think about the outpouring of God's spirit and it's good to do a character study on Peter. And you remember Peter had denied Jesus three times. We read that in John chapter 21. And, and it's interesting to me that in John chapter 21, Jesus comes back to Peter after his resurrection, right? And Peter's out in the boat. You remember that? And there's Jesus is on the shore. He's cooking the fire and he's got some fish there and he's making breakfast for him. It's just like God. And they recognize that it's Jesus. And Peter does what? He doesn't even wait for the boat to come into shore. He jumps overboard and he swims up to the shore. And this is the Jesus that denied, or excuse me, the Peter that denied Jesus. And Jesus does something that's so profound there. For every, it's believed that for every time Peter denied Jesus, Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to reaffirm himself. There was the opportunity to be reconnected to God. And he said, Peter, he said, do you love me? He asked the question, do you love me? He said, if you do, he said, then feed my sheep. And he went on, he asked it again. He said, do you love me? And, and when you studied the Greek language, he went from agape all the way down to phileo. He took it to a level where Peter could answer the question, honestly. Yep. Yeah. What Peter could say is, yes, Jesus, I like you a lot. And he said, then feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Three times for every denial, Jesus makes a way of return. And I think it's so profound that we think about that today because every one of you that's here today, everyone that be listening at home has a gift that was given to them by God. And so the question begs to be asked, are we using those gifts? Are we using the gifts that God has given us or are they on the shelf? And I can't answer that for you, but I know God wants you to answer it. And sometimes we feel like I failed, I blew it. I had my opportunity and I didn't take advantage of it. But to know that the mercies of God are new every morning and great is his faithfulness is that you would understand and know that God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, has given you not only gifts, but he now, and this is even a greater realization, is there's manifestations of the Spirit. They're not gifts that he gives to us, but he manifests the gifts amongst us. I ask this question all the time. 
what's the greatest gift that a person can possess at any given time? And it's not a trick question. When we would say love and that, that he says of, of all the things that we have is love. But you think as a gift, the Holy Spirit, when he gives gifts, it's the gift that's needed at that moment. If you have somebody who's sick in front of you, the gift of exhortation might be okay. The gift of healing would be a lot better, wouldn't you think? And yet sometimes we lock in because of our kind of self-centered society that we live in, even as Christians. We go, that's not my gift. It's, there'd be paper laying on the ground on the campus here, and people just walk past it. They go, well, that's not my job. You go, whose job is it? They go, that's the maintenance person's job. And in the true sense, you could say, if that was as a job, you could say that's true. You go, but the church belongs to the church. You go, we all have a responsibility for it, right? You go, so whose job is it? You go, whoever sees it. It's like Jesus asking the question, and they come back to Jesus, and they go, who's my brother? Who's my brother? Who's my neighbor? Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. Who's my neighbor? It's whoever you're next to at that moment in time, whoever you're around. And so I love this when we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because God wants not only you to have a gift that you would know, but more important than that, God wants to manifest himself through his gifts in our midst, depending on what the need is at any given moment in time. And so to be sensitive to the leading of his spirit. And yet here's Jesus affirming Peter. And Peter goes from that moment to this day of Pentecost. And I, I put this in my notes. What are the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And how can you tell if someone is exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit? What are the purposes? I want you to think about that in your mind. What are the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And how can you tell if someone is exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The purpose of the gifts, just understand this, is for the building up of the body of Christ and love. So gifts are never for ourselves. You could say gifts are always for giving. Gifts are always for the benefit of other people. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. And we see it exercised perfectly within Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 again, when it says that though Jesus was God, right? It says he did not regard it equality a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of becoming a man, to the point of death upon a cross, that he gave his life for what the benefit of other people. God gives gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life for the benefit of other people. And yet many times what we see, especially with some of these sign gifts, that it all of a sudden becomes about the person exercising the gift as opposed to the benefit for those that would hear or be part of that gift. And again, <laughs> I have my notes here. You, can you always tell like 100% of the time when somebody's walking in the flesh and they're not walking in the spirit. And you go, yes, because all you have to do is listen to them. The first word out of their mouth will be, I don't agree with this. I don't, I, 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 I. Unfortunately for that type of person, is, they've come to the belief that they think that a critical spirit is actually a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's not. It never has been, never will be. And so I, I look at this and what happens when you're walking in the spirit is there's a unity, there's a desire. It doesn't mean that it's always going to come about, but there's a desire more than anything. What do you want? It's like God, it says, God in us, imploring people what to be reconciled to God, that he's commended to us the ministry of what of reconciliation. 
So you don't let yourself become part of division. You don't become divisive. You're not disagreeing. That is not the spirit of Christ. That is the spirit of antichrist. And it, unfortunately, wherever the word of God is going forth, you've got the enemy of our soul is right there working the same way that God works through people. Guess what? The devil works through people as well. And so to be aware of this and why it's so important, especially when you think about Pentecost, is that we're praying constantly. We should be praying when you come to church, you go, God, I pray that you would anoint me. Anoint me to listen today. Anoint me to discern your word. Anoint me to take the things that are of you, God, and to apply to my life because I don't want to just be a hearer of your word. I want to be a doer. I want to get right. It's like what Larry was just praying leading into the study. Is that God, that we would hear what you have for us. Not what Pastor Mike has for us, but what you have for us. And that, God, you would speak that to us and it would change us and it would shape us and mold us to be the men and women of God that you desire us to be. And so we see there in verse 14, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. And how do we know that these things have taken place? He's seen the resurrected Lord. Like I said, Peter was this kind of bumbling fisherman. And now he's a, you might say, a, a lean, mean preaching machine. And you think about the, the, how deep this particular study is. And you think about Peter. How did Peter, again, go from where he was to where he is right now? You go, it's the act of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has come upon his life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who's bringing to his mind remembrance of the things that Jesus had said. Now, Peter had been hanging around with Jesus for about three years, but a lot of it was confusing to him and the other disciples. It's the Holy Spirit working that helps it to make sense. So again, you just, you're reading the word, you're reading the word, you read the word, and the Holy Spirit is the one who quickens it to us and allows us to bring it to remembrance. And I look at what Peter's doing here. There's two things that are so consistent in the book of Acts. You don't want to miss this because it'll be consistent in your life and mine as we're ministering to people, when we're around people. Number one thing was it was the proclamation of the gospel. Peter was always proclaiming the gospel. And we should be doing that not only in the life of unbelievers, but we're doing that constantly in the life of the believer, that we're, Jesus is always before us. And then there was an exhortation uh, to repent. He was constantly calling people to repentance. And then that's just not for the unbeliever, that's for the believer as well. It's been well said that you can convince anybody of anything, but you can't, you know, it, for the life of you, convince somebody that what they're convinced of, they're wrong. It's just so hard because people think, what, you know, the, I know what's right. This is what's right. And what reality really teaches us is we don't know what we don't know in the truest sense. And that's why we need revelation. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to quicken these things in our life. And so the gospel, when you think about it, the gospel always included the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the glorification of Christ, his ascension back into heaven. And Peter, amazingly, he does this in about 30 seconds here. He has to spend a lot of time unpacking it. It goes at the end of the chapter and it says, and then Peter went on and on. But he unpacks it here in one sense in about 30 seconds. He just lets it out that it's about his Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, and ultimately his glorification. There in, in verse 14, he says, then Peter stepped forward with the other 11 apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is just too much early for that. No, what was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel, okay? And you think about what he's talking about there, last days, the end times here. 
The last days, when you see that in Scripture, the last days begin when Jesus was born into this world. That was the beginning of the last days when Jesus Christ was born into this world, and it will end the last days at the end uh, at his second coming, as it deals with, obviously, the church age. When you see those word in the old days, you'll see that different places in Scripture. It's speaking of the Old Testament here. Jeremiah 31 speaks of that. The last days, you could say, are the days of the church. And obviously, this being the birth of the church, we're in the last days here, and, and it will continue, like I said, until the, when you see that, that those words, last days, think about up until the time that the last Gentile, the last non-Jewish person comes to know Jesus, then that will be the end of what we see as the last days as the church is raptured into heaven. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 the writer of Hebrews tells us, says, long ago, God spoke many things and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. It says, now in these final or last days, he's spoken to us through his son. And he points out something that's so important for us because there, there's so many new religions. There, there's a religion born every day. It's fascinating to me that in the world today, there, there's new religions being born every single day. But the writer of Hebrews makes it really clear is that God has a final word, and his final word is his son. And he's basically saying, if you're looking for somebody else to come along, there's nobody else coming. He is coming back, but there's nobody new coming. Jesus is God's final word to mankind. And it's so important that we understand that. So you could say that, I love this phrase, that we are in the last days of the last days. And I think that's important that we understand that. There's something I think that, I, and I love it in conversations I have every day, with believers, they're going, Pastor Mike, man, what's your take on this? I think from studying God's word, we're in the last days of the last days. And I go, man, I too believe that. Like I said, and people go, oh, but it's so embarrassing you know, that the apostles, the disciples, they were all saying that they were in the last days. They go, they were. They, it, like I said, as soon as Jesus was born into this world, that was the beginning of the last days. But we can honestly say this. I think we just do the math. Like the apostle Paul, can we say today, I'm one day closer than when I first believed? And you go, yeah, so we're closer. And so I love that expression, the last days of the last days. And I hope that your theology allows you to believe this, that Jesus could come back at any moment, that there's nothing prophetically that needs to take place. There's nothing, we're not waiting for Israel to be regathered as a nation. There is nothing that needs to take place. Jesus could come at any moment. And with that, that, that eschatology, that belief in end times will lead us to do something because we truly, if, I, if we just were praying today, right, for people in our lives that don't know the Lord, if we truly believe that Jesus could come back right now or he could come back tonight, wouldn't it motivate us to want to have conversations, to be in prayer and go, Lord, use me, use somebody, but let's make sure that my family member knows, my friend knows, my coworker, whatever it is, knows that Jesus is Lord and that he came to save sinners. It's a gift. We don't merit it. We can't deserve it, but he offers it freely to us if we would simply receive it and open our hearts to him. I like, in, again, Peter quoting Joel chapter 2 there in verse 17. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And I love that. 
that's you know how to tell if you're old or young when you think about this look at it this way so it says your young men will have visions what's a vision a vision is they go hey this is what i want to do and i can see myself doing it right and they get a vision for it and then they they set out to do it old men have what dreams i'm not going to do it but it's nice to dream about right you go ah oh. And so if you could just, you'll know right where you're at. I don't know if you're old or young, but if you look at things and you go, man, God's given me a vision for this and I'm going to do that. Or you go, I just have a dream. I just have a dream. It's just a thing for identification. I, I'm not aging you or naming you there. I don't know where you fall into that. You'll have to study that out for yourself. But everybody's included. And again, but you think about this. When you look at pictures of the apostles, they look young or old. How many, when you've seen pictures or of the apostles and the disciples, raise your hand if they looked old to you, that they were old men. How many, when you look at them, they look like they were young men. You thought they were younger. So it's about half and half, yeah. For the most part, they had to be young. Okay, they wouldn't have been old. How old was Jesus? What do we say? Probably 33 years old. They were younger than him for the most part. It was basically a youth movement that they, man, they were excited. They were going to, they wanted to change the world. Now we know at Pentecost, everybody started turning to God at that point, both old and young alike. And that's one of the great, it's a mystery in the sense of the world today, because we have what we call generation what? Gaps, right? That one generation doesn't care for the other, so to speak. And then you go into the body of Christ where the Holy Spirit is present in the life of that church. And what do you have? You look around and you go, hey, we've got young people. We've got old people alike. You go, why? That's the beauty of the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit of God is, what? There's unity. It has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with gender. It says right there in the book of Acts, chapter 2, you think about it in the world, people, religion is all about white supremacy. This is all just men. And, oh, you see when the Holy Spirit's poured out, what did he say? Joel says he's going to pour out his Spirit on all people, on men and women alike. Men and women alike. It's not just male. It's male and female. Men servants, maid servants, and he says in verse 19 and 20, he says, and I will cause, he says, the wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn to blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord that it arrives. So again, he's quoting, you know, Joel chapter two here. And it's all about the day of the Lord. What we see in scripture is known as the great tribulation period, which you and I won't be part of, but we get to study it and read about it. But he says, even before that, there's going to be what birth pangs. So are we seeing things today? Is the church seeing, when you look at this, you go, man, we're getting glimpses of this, right? We're, we're getting a taste, you might say. It's like going to Costco. If you go there on a Sunday after church and you get a little sampling, right? They give out those on toothpicks and you get to try it. And it's just a sampling. You go, it's not the whole thing, but it's a sampling. We get to have, you could say a sampling. We're seeing these things happen in the world today, but the great tribulation is still to come. We get a little preview, like I said, and the Holy Spirit's poured out here on the birthday of the church. It's starting and it's continuing now. And we're seeing what's going to happen, not just from that moment, but until the Lord returns is that he's going to pour out his spirit on people. And one of the great blessings we have is I look around, I know some of your story that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you in your life. And you've got to watch how the Holy Spirit works in and through you, that he's continuing that work even today. I had a guy ask me this last week. I was sharing the gospel with him and he goes, well, I don't believe, I don't believe the Bible's true. And I said, I said, what don't you believe about it? And he said, I just, I, I don't, I've read parts of it and I've seen things. And he goes, I just don't, 
believe you can't prove that the Bible is true. And I said, sure, I can. And he said, how could you prove it? And I said, because I'm sharing the gospel with you. He goes, that doesn't prove anything. I said, yes, it does. I said, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, what did he say? He said, you'll be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, where? Judea, right? That was a little area outside of Jerusalem. Then he said, Samaria. And then he said, to where? The uttermost parts of the world, right? And so I go, hey, that, that verse right there proves it. And they go, how's that? And I go, where are we at today? Bakersfield. And I go, okay, right there, Jesus said the uttermost parts of the world. I said, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem all the way to Bakersfield. Somebody was faithful. That's how it got here. Somebody listened to what God said, and they took it somewhere else. Who took it somewhere else? Who took it somewhere else? Churches were planted along the way. And if you look around the world today, are, are there churches all over the world? And you go, yes. You go, that's living proof. You go, I'm living proof. You go, I opened my heart to Jesus Christ. I confessed my sin. I repented of my sin. And the Holy Spirit came into my life. I wouldn't be talking to you today. It's like Paul said, if, if I was here trying to make friends with everybody, the last thing I'd do is share the gospel because sometimes people get what? They get a little upset with the gospel. He's, it's like Paul saying, if you really just wanted to make friends with people, what you'd probably do is just get one of those La Rosa ice cream bar carts and just go around and give out free ice cream. Then you'd make friends, right? But to preach the gospel can sometimes divide the house, so to speak. But I go, but that's the proof. And I go, and to think about this, and then I love this, because how, do they re how does anybody refute this? And, and, and if you've looked at like the four spiritual laws and the first law being God loves you, right? And it'll quote John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? And then to ask somebody, you go, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God loves you? And they go, oh, I don't know. It's a personal question, right? Yeah, I just want you to know, I know he loves you. They go, well, how, how can you know that God loves me? And I go, because I'm telling you. Because see, what you don't know is I got up today and I prayed and I said, God, lead me to somebody today that needs to know you. And you've just told me that you don't know God. And I believe, again, this is the proof that his, he, he is alive and he's working in the world today, that he led me to you. Whether you agree with me or not isn't even the issue, but what's important that you know is that God loves you and he doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. And if you will repent of your sin and you will turn to him, he says he will come into your life and he will wash and he will cleanse and he will make you a new creation. Tell him one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore for persons in Christ, there are new creation, old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. I go, that could be you today. Do you want it? And they might say, no. I go, is that okay? Yes. That is their right. That is their privilege. God doesn't force his love. He doesn't force his will upon us. We have the ability to choose. And I love that. But the day of the Lord is coming. It's a reference to the return of Christ. Later in verse 21, it says, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that any different today than it was 2,000 years ago? No. That's why it's so important. We go back and you go, what was the first message about? What was the first sermon? And we'd go back, instead of getting caught up in all these things, and you think about the arguments that people have, you're arguing with either other believers, which is just a waste of time. That's what the devil loves. You get two believers arguing about, do I believe pre, mid, post, trib? Do I believe in tongues, no tongues? You go, you know what? There's a lot of fish to catch. Like I shared with you last week, if there's 8 billion people on this planet and only 2 billion of them know the Lord, that means there's 6 billion that don't and, and we're burning daylight. We all have only a certain amount of time. 
And what are you going to spend? And then you, and then for some, they just make their life a holy huddle. It's just a church service, but never, ever reaching out to the lost. And you go, and it's a sad thing. We were called to be a light in a dark place. We were called to be the salt of the earth in a world that what? That's lost its flavor and to preserve, to hold back, you might say, the wrath of God, but to never forget But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what is it? Jesus plus what equals salvation? Nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Then look at verse 22. It says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know, but God knew what would happen. And he prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death, raised him back to life, and death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I see the Lord is always before me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And so who's he talking to? Again, verse 22, he says, People of Israel, listen, listen. You know, you might not believe Jesus is the Messiah, but there's 120 of us here that do. And so Peter, being the spokesperson for them, again, stands up and tells them everything that they need to know. He gives them three basic proofs here. You just look at this. He goes, proof number one was what? Miracles, signs, and wonders. He did those miracles right before them. He says in, in verse 22, he publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. And again, what a, what a wonderful way that God testified to who he was. And the Jews didn't deny it. They, they knew him. Remember when he was, he'd heal on the Sabbath, right? And they would come and they'd say, Jesus, so you're going to condemn me because I heal on the Sabbath? And they're like, no, we're not going to do that because you did it. actually did a good thing. Where he condemn you because you claim to be God. And you have the Jehovah Witness and Mormons and such. He never claimed to be God. No, he did. And the Jews knew it. That's why they tore their clothes. They wanted a Messiah. They just didn't believe Jesus was him, but they couldn't deny and denounce the fact that he did miracles. And this is what he's doing. He's pulling them in then, right? It says in verse 23, it says, but God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and you killed him. One sentence, man, Peter brings together the sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. And people spend all day arguing about it. I like the way that Skip Heitzig portrays it. He goes, how do you reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? He goes, ah, to me, he goes, it's like flying in an airplane. He goes, the airplane's going from point A to point B, right? He goes, that's like the sovereignty of God. God started it and he knows when it's going to end. He goes, but the plane's in the air. And when the plane's in the air, do the people on the plane that are inside the plane, inside the sovereignty of when that plane took off and where it's going, do they have the freedom to move about? You hear that on, on airlines, right? You're free to roam. You can get out of your chair. You can walk in the aisles. You can talk to people. You can sleep if you want to. You can eat if you want to. You can watch a movie if you want to. You have free will, but it's within the constraint of what? From the time it takes off, you could say to birth, to death. And that's it. They go, and those things work together. Peter just beautifully lays this out, what it means. And like I said, we'll spend days and weeks and months. People are just arguing about it. All the while, people are what? They're dying and they're going to hell without Christ. God forgive us. God is sovereign. Man's responsible. 
Those things are just obvious from the text there. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay my life down that I might take it up again. We try to wrap our mind around all these things. I was sharing with our staff this last week. It's real simple. We make it difficult. You can't know everything about God. Yes, you can. You can know everything that God wants you to know about God. That's what Jesus said. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring to remembrance what? Did he say a few of the things that I said? He said, he'll bring to remembrance what? All that I taught you. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him intimately. So if there's something that you're trying to wrap your mind around in Scripture and you go, I just can't figure this out, don't get frustrated. Just go, hey, it's not for me to know. But what God wants you to have is peace, amen, to know the joy of the Lord and let that joy be your strength. Not only the miracles, but the second thing that we see is his proof was the resurrection. It says, but God released him, verse 24, from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Jesus did miracles, signs, and wonders. And then number two, the resurrection. And they're saying, and we saw it. And now he's got their attention, right? And just see how God works. He's got their attention because he said, this Jesus, God raised him back to life. And this is, becomes the focal point for me and for you. So you can't miss this. This is what you and I, we need to focus our lives upon in preaching in the New Testament is what makes Jesus different than every other religious leader person, faith, whatever it is that you want to talk about. He goes, it's the resurrection. That what? Jesus is alive. Amen. He's alive. And because he's alive, you can enjoy the person of the Holy Spirit today who's alive in you. Verse 25 through 28, he goes on, he says, then King David said this about him. I see the Lord. He's always before me. I will not be shaken for he is it right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad. My tongue shouts his praise. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul amongst the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Again, what is he doing? He's quoting Psalm 16 there. He's taking them back to something they knew. They were Jews. They knew the Old Testament there. And again, and he talks about David. He says, therefore, being a prophet. Remember, David was king, but he was also a prophet. He was also a psalmist. And that he knew that God had sworn an oath to him, that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. So he's foreseeing this, and he spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his own soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And I love this because, again, one of the, the beauties of this, here we got Peter bringing us back to the Old Testament reasoning from Joel chapter 2, from Psalm 16, takes them to Psalm 110, makes sure that they're clear on this. This goes on in verses 29 through 31. He says, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he was buried and his tomb is still here today amongst us, but he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection, he was saying that God would not leave him amongst the dead nor allow his body to rot in the grave. He says, and God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. He says, now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and you hear today. What is he doing? How's he reasoning with people that don't agree? He's not arguing with them. He says, for it is written, it is written, 
it is written. That's all you've been ever called to do. We, we get in discussions of people, I believe this. Like I said, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can have your opinion, but you're going to die with your opinion. The word of God will stand forever. And this is all Peter's doing. This is a hostile audience here, right? But they know the word of God and they cannot deny what they knew to be true, that the Messiah would do miracles. He would do signs and wonders. And they made that connection. Jesus did signs and wonders, but they said, but he's dead. He's dead. And then they went, no, he's not. No, he's not. We saw him. Over 500 people saw him alive from the dead. And they attested to that. And then in verse 34 and 35, and it says, for David himself, never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. And so the, the Jews knew, they knew that David hadn't ascended into heavens, but he himself had said, now watch. And he, again, he's, what's he doing? He's quoting again from Psalm 110, verse one. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under my feet. Right there, they're taking this, they're understanding this in their own heart. And so what happened to them at that point? <laughs> There's a conviction that happens, and it says in verse 36, it says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. So these religious Jews, they're hearing this, and they know the scriptures, and it's the scriptures that are bringing the conviction in their life. And it says, and Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away and all who've been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Again, what does he tell them? It says in verse 37, Peter's words pierce their heart they knew the word. We have to trust the word of God. We have to stand on the word of God, knowing that, again, I love that expression that says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And he's, he's in a cage. And what do you do with a lion that's in a cage? You open the cage and you let him out. And that's all we need to do is that as you're in Bible study and you're studying God's word and you're hiding God's word in your heart, he's going, then what you need to do is trust in the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life that when you go out into this world, that you'd be praying for boldness. You know, like, there's no excuse for any of us. We could never say again, God, I just don't feel comfortable talking to people. It's just not my gift. You go, that's about you. It, it, we're not talking about you. We're talking about the supernatural you. What happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life, when that boldness that he gives, that dynamic power in your life, you go, you don't care anymore. You're not worried about anything because you're convinced in what you believe and, and what you've seen, what you've experienced. And you get it that heaven and hell are real places, then people are going to go one or the other. And if you really truly believe that we are in the last days of the last days, then you go, man, the time is really short now. And there's, there, I know there's a few in our church that really believe that, and it's impacting the way that they live. It's impacting the things that we do. It's why we spend a lot more time in prayer these days. It's like why we spend every day going, Lord, you lead us, you guide us, you fill us, because if we're not about your business, we'll be about our own business, and our business isn't your business in that regard. And then there's what? There's repentance. There's a humility that comes with that and says, Lord, I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. And this is what was happening that day in the heart of these Jews as they were there and they listened. 
And again, in verse 38 and 39, it says, Then Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away, and all who have been called by the Lord our God. I love that. They were convicted, and they asked the apostles, man, what do we do? And they said, what? Repent. What does it mean to repent? Is turn from your way of thinking, turn from your way of doing, turn to God and say, God, I'm going to do it your way. I don't care if you're 16 years old in here. I don't care if you're 85 years old. We can still repent, and we can turn to God, and we can go, God, you know what? The best days of my life, they're going to be the days that I spent walking with you in your will, in the power of your spirit, speaking the things that you would have me speak to the people that you would have me speak. And you go, then, man, what a day that would be. And again, as Peter, his goal, my goal is the same today. I put in my notes, his goal isn't to dispense information. It, it, again, this isn't about information. It's about transformation. And only you can decide that. And only I can decide that. Are you living for God today? Are you really in your life? Are you going, okay, when I get up every day, I go, God, it's your day today. And wherever you're going to lead me to go, God, fill my mouth with your words that I could do what? And to exercise, if we're going to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, remember, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? For the benefit of other people. See, the world, I, I say this all the time, the world will use you, it'll abuse you, and it will lose you. That is the way of the world. The church is just the opposite, that we're getting up every day and we go, God, who is it that I could serve today? Who is it that I could give my life away for? Who is it that I could that share your love with that could be for their benefit? That's a good day. And you go, man, what a better day that is. And we're not just sitting there thinking, why is it mow me? Why is it, you know? And we get our eyes off ourselves and do what? Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's what happens when you experience Pentecost. And my hope and my prayer is that we experience a fresh Pentecost every time we open up the Word. And we pray and you go, hey, if you're here today and you go, man, Pastor Mike, I'm so tired. I just, you go, you know, what do we pray for? Fresh infilling, fresh power, fresh wind, fresh power, whatever that we need that believe in faith that God provides, that we could live a life that brings glory to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your word. Pray, Lord, this morning as we go from this place, that we go in the power of your word, that, Lord, we'd be a people who live lives of repentance, Lord, that we have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of will, that, God, we're not living for ourselves. We're living for you. We, we see what happened in that early church, a, a church that up until that moment was a bunch of cowards for the most part. They were fearful about what people said or what they thought or what they did. And Holy Spirit, when you fell upon them, it changed everything about them, changed their whole purpose, their meaning of life or their vision of how they saw their lives. And then as you pour out your spirit, Lord, you, you meet human need. And God, we need you today. We need you to pour out your spirit that, God, we could meet the needs that are around us. It's impossible in the flesh, Lord, to meet human need. But God, you can do it. Thank you that you've chosen the church, Lord, to pour out your life, not just for, but through. Lord, may we be open this week to all that you have for us. We love you. We bless you. We praise you, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.